Welcome to Riveting Broads, a platform for women to riff on what matters most. We're your hosts, Jackie Richard and Molly Merluzzi. We've found that the conversations in media and politics about women are too often about them instead of with them. And we plan to change that. From thoughts on vulnerability, identity, privilege, culture, gender, sexuality, and everything in between, we talk about it all. Join us. Today we have the absolute honor, pleasure, to have Nancy Frades joining the Riveting Broads uh, trio. To Nancy, if you um, possibly have been living under a rock, is an incredible uh, friend of Jackie and mine now, a successful entrepreneur, ALS advocate, and Pete Frades' mom. Pete Frades is the founder of the Ice Bucket Challenge that was a viral phenomenon internationally that helped raise um, record-breaking uh, funds to combat and drive research for ALS. Uh, Nancy, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So today we have a a couple of fun topics that we wanted to dive into, Um, but I think, Jackie, some of these were your thought starters, so I was wondering if you could sort of kick us off. Sure. So reflecting back on previous conversations with Nancy, I was thinking about what we had talked about, and that years ago I interviewed her for Phil Richard Insurance, and we're talking about the ice bucket challenge and, you know, how your family shot to fame in almost an instant and how you built a movement with just yourselves. And you, I was saying to you something that you said that really resonated with me was that you just, you knew what you were good at. You knew what you brought to the table and you used your skill set to execute an amazing feat, not only for yourself, for your family, but the whole ALS community. So that's how we got started talking. And then we asked Nancy, you know, do you have anything to elaborate on with that? And she said the importance of relationships, not just necessarily male to female relationships, but relationships in general. And now we've got talking about the evolution of how relationships have changed since, you know, you were in your 30s, Nancy, and since, you know, we're in our 30s now. I'm interested to hear what you were saying. What do you think has changed the most? Uh, Oh, so much has changed. Um, I think what I was um, reflecting on is when I first graduated college, which was in 1980. (laughs) I'm really showing my age now. (laughs) And um, how the 80s were a very difficult time for women. Um, We there was an expectation set that was unattainable. It was unrealistic. And Um, I reflect heavily on a picture that was on the front page of Newsweek, I believe, at the time. And it was a woman dressed in a business suit with a briefcase, a kid grabbing at her skirt, a phone in the ear, and super, super mom. And that was, you know, the pinnacle of where we were supposed to go. And I think that uh, cooler heads have have prevailed. I think women have become more realistic with not only the expectation, but they've really come to terms and are more confident to say what they actually want Mm. and have that be part of the equation Mm -hmm. because that wasn't part of the equation. We were hiding what we wanted because we were being told what we should be. And I think the evolution to today is so dramatic that women 
have put their own priorities first, not the expectations. Mm, and they're not afraid to advocate for themselves now, I think, which is huge, because back then it was seemed like we, and something I think I still struggle with a bit is you're taught these self-limiting beliefs and told who you are by other people that actually have no idea what's happened in your life or what's going on in your head. It, I mean, we still see it today, but like you said, I think women are coming up and finding themselves more, and Felicity brought up a good point. What would you say, Felicity, that um, all the CEOs... There's, there's more CEOs named John than there are women CEOs. And for those listening, Felicity is not a floating ghost in the background. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she is. She works a part of MM Consulting, and she's an incredible writer. Uh, but she was the one who brought up a really cool point about CEOs, which she right. read at Harvard Business Review. All right. Is- so Harvard Business Review reported that there's more CEOs named John than there are female CEOs in the country right now. However, Nancy, you brought up a very astute point that I think is applicable and really skews the data almost in our favor as women. So why don't you share what you thought? I think when Felicity said that, I looked at her and I said, "Um, that doesn't surprise me. And I think that is my wisdom and my years of being on this earth that, that brings that point. What I said was, it doesn't surprise me because in the same vein of what we were just talking about, women tend to be A, more creative, B, more risk takers, and C, will we'll think outside the box. And they won't look at that expectation as they're climbing the corporate ladder that CEO is the pinnacle of what they want. They will hit pieces of their lives, be it maybe it's taking care of a family member or building a family or whatever that may be to them. For me, when I was in the corporate world, what it was, it was an innate entrepreneurial drive. Mm -hmm. I was working corporately, but I had an innate entrepreneurial drive that I wanted to own my own business and and I had a collective skill I wasn't just single topic I was I was more of looking at a big picture and building something going forward combined with the fact that I was having children and that was my priority so I think that we're hard on ourselves if we say, well, we, you know, we don't have as many CEOs, but because I think women now, going back to the confidence level, are willing to take their own destiny and part of that equation is the priority is what they want, what is their vision of their life. And um, so I think they leave the ranks of corporate climbing before they reach that point. Now, sure, there are women that that is the pinnacle, and I would never want to diminish the notion that it's equal for a man and a woman to get to a CEO. But I do think that that stat is blurred a little bit by by women really pursuing what they want in life. Yeah, and I, you know, I tend to agree with that on its face, and then I also find myself... You know, it's you and I talked about this as well. Is that 
there is the the it's not women are jumping out of the ranks there they either systemically have more of an uphill battle to get to that ceo uh position and we're using ceo as sort of the placeholder for any type of leadership role that is held by men right Mm -hmm. and so i think that women with their sort of challenging societally idea that you need to be all of these things you know you need to be a sexy wife, but you also need to be a mother and you also need to, you know, um, put dinner on the table and you also need to pick them up from soccer practice, but you got to be on that conference call and you still need to pump and you need to figure out how to, to, to get through the week. I would say, I think both of you are taking a very optimistic and positive interpretation of that. The, the devil's advocate there would be that, there isn't an infrastructure in place at some of those corporate environments where women are are sort of uh, or holistically treated as as even whether they're pumping or whether they're later in life or whether they're coming back into the workplace but don't want to stay after work to have drinks and uh, I just think that it's still a boys club in a lot of ways it's certainly transformed from tom hanks what was the movie i just watched it was so offensive and i didn't know tom hanks could be offensive uh it was uh bachelor party is that the movie with tom hanks yeah bachelor party i mean i'll do a corrections corner on the next episode but there's this there's this movie and there's it's just it's 80s quintessential right it's it's topless ladies and there's there's you know ethnic stereotypes and there's there's animals and it's like a pop culture like film that people watch and it's this idea that i think media portrays what women are meant to be and then in turn and this sort of brings it back to my second point which is the systemic problems but also the infighting between women Mm -hmm. is what we were also Mm -hmm. intrigued by because so we have it harder to get to the top then you'd think, okay, if we have it as a more difficult pathway to get there, shouldn't we be working together in order to advocate against whatever that barrier is? And a lot of times what happens is the opposite. You know, women feel that, and this is that myth of scarcity we've alluded to before, which is there's only X amount of seats at the life table, at the success table, at the beautiful table. And if those people are there and they're successful, and we live in this media age where I'm looking at Nancy speaking around the world and I'm, I'm in awe of her career. I'm looking at, you know, Jackie's beautiful photos and her incredible, you know, networking business. And so you look at those and I'm like, you're two people that I admire. But there's moments where I'm like, oh, man, they're killing it. I need to pick it up. I need to pick up the pace. Mm-hmm. Instead of putting that aside, I think a lot of women tend to foster fest let that fester yeah i think it's interesting you say that because another point i would bring to the conversation that i see and conversations that i've been lucky enough to be in because when i go in and be a keynote at a corporation a very large corporation of course i get to meet the CEO, I get to meet the senior VPs. So um, when you come in as a keynote, which was kind of eye-opening to me when I first started, and I think generationally, we're gonna see more opportunities for, for women open up because what I get from from these top executives is this new 
culture that we're in with women empowering getting more empowered and 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 speaking their minds and 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 progressing and succeeding and what they're saying to me is my daughter that's the first conversation a lot of them have with me Mm. my daughter's in college she's going to do this i think that the father daughter relationship has changed and jackie i think it's fun because your dad has four daughters yeah and i also work for him too and you work for him and i think that there is that's another relationship that i think is easy to explore Mm. is that my generation even before me women in the 50s and the 60s 60s i mean we used to have they were called finishing schools. Mm. I mean, we had one right here in Beverly, Endicott College. It basically was a finishing school for women. And I mean, I grew up, me, I remember hearing about finishing schools. Um, In my high school, there were two paths you could take when I was in high school in the 70s. You could take the college prep or you took the business business in quotes so an interesting story i'm curious if the course itself was business no it was typing (laughs) it was was typing and bookkeeping oh interesting but what i'll a really interesting story in that vein to get at what i'm my first eye-opening experience was that with that was i was brought up in a house where my grandparents were all immigrants to this country and really um, my mom and dad were the first in their families to go to college and both became very successful in both of their fields but it was school teaching my mom and my dad was a journalist who worked for the Boston Globe. So business was not part of our daily conversation. So when we were at dinner, we talked about what report we were working on or what current events. That was probably the, the greatest part of it is that my dad was constantly keeping us because back then we didn't have phones and internet. So for you to get your current events, you either had to watch the five o'clock news, which who watched the five o'clock news? Nobody did. I mean, as far as my teenage friends, or read the newspaper. If you didn't, if you didn't do that, you didn't know what was going on in the world. So my father made sure that we always knew what was going on in the world. Well, when I was gra- graduating high school and applying to colleges, um, I focused on Boston College, and Boston College has four different schools: nursing which I knew I can't stand the sight of blood, so that was off. (laughs) And then um, education, and I knew I didn't want to be a school teacher. So then it came down to the School of Arts and Sciences and the School of Business. And I was filling out the application, and my father said to me, Nancy, I think you should apply to the School of Business. And I had such a narrow focus at the time, I was insulted. I I remember looking at my dad, and I was like, well, dad. And, of course, it's the 70s, so liberal arts was, you know, everybody was doing, you know, that's where you went, liberal arts. And I remember looking at my dad and saying, dad, I'm I'm college prep. I'm not business because I I, I didn't grow up in that environment. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I went to the School of Arts and Science. My roommate was in the business school. I started looking at what she was doing. I was like, hey, wait a minute. I I really (laughs) think that's where I'm supposed to be. And, of course, then then I ended up going into the business school. But my father 
you know, back then even identified, you know, he, he knew where I should go. And I reflect on that and I think, my God, he was kind of ahead of his time because at the time, a lot of fathers were saying, go be a school teacher. I mean, hearing that story, I'm in, I'm surprised that that's how the narrative... I mean, I know your right. father and I know... <laughs> so I'm right. not surprised by him as a person, but it just... In the fact that it was the seventies, and he's a man, and you were—he's uh, a father, and you were a daughter—I can't imagine that. And and That's and it was, and and I, you know, as the years have passed, um, I've realized just how amazing that conversation was. Right. But I look at today, and I think fathers are helping direct their daughters, not only helping but encouraging them to to find their path to succeed. To um, and I, I think that what we're talking about, as far as supporting women to grow, if that comes internally from a family mm. on top, because believe me, I have a lot of friends who were knocked down, who were said, you know, through through their years, were said, well, what, you should just do that, mm. or you should just, you know, just just take this and and you'll be happy, whatever. Um, so I think that's that's a huge change in in women continuing to to be empowered to climb corporate ladders and um i I think we're still evolving there um i think where we need to evolve is is something that you mentioned molly is is the relationships the Mm -hmm. the um i think the men the men and women in the workplace relationship i think right now is um i think it's hard for men being the mother of two boys I have to tell you, I worry about them in the workforce. I not for the person that they are, but just for the interpretation. You know, it's such a very difficult level right now um, to to say the right things. I mean, I'm lucky. I have two very respectful boys, but um, it, it's it's kind of the mother of of sons. You you worry about where this pendulum you know lies mm-hmm. and. I think that your generation is doing it right. I think it's the you know the people who are in their fifties right now are starting to to worry about that in mm. the corporate world because they were working back in the eighties where sure. anything goes. So, but the women to women relationship is the one that needs to evolve yeah. still. Unfortunately, and it's surprising because I do think that there and the reason we bring this up is not sort of only personal lived experiences we all have a story about a time in our career where we were surprised by the lack of support from other women um but i also think there's there i I feel like there's not a it sounds so obvious but having you know i always go back to being a new mom building my own business that's you know taken off doing this podcast. i feel like there is there's no script And that is like what I keep going back to in life, like whether it's, you know, with trauma or grief, career, motherhood, whatever. Um, For me, that has been both a reassuring notion that there's no script and everybody's winging it and we're all just doing our fucking best. (laughs) And that's true on the one hand. And there's obviously layers of privilege involved in all of this. But I do feel like what might be part of a catalyst for some of that tension between women is that 
through a through a voyeur perspective, like looking at someone else's life, it looks like they have it all figured out. Like it looks like it's coming easy to them. Someone sent them the instructions. They know how to do this. Someone gave them the script. And I'm here like, wait, what am I supposed to do next? Right. Whatever that is, professionally, personally, et cetera. And so in turn, you end up either resenting those people that seem like they have it put together or feeling intimidated by them. And so you retreat, and this is a you universal, not myself, but one mm-hmm. retreats into cattiness or, you mm-hmm. know, undermining their success or as we learned in our offhand conversations, unfriending them on Facebook. It hurts more than you know, people. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and people notice. People notice. And it's, I just think that there, and I hate sweeping generalizations, as we all know, but like there's something psychologically profound about women mm-hmm. and how we can really, because I have two sisters. I mean, you can. I could do some dark shit if I wanted to. Oh, my God. You know? And I think that there's something about that professionally that happens where it's like, it's not just like, I don't like that guy, whatever, moving on between guys. It's like with women, it's like there's something deeper, more, what was that? You said, Nancy said something great. The emotional quotient Mm -hmm. is different. Talk about that because I definitely think that's interesting. Oh, I think when we were talking um, before and we were all sharing our women to women war stories (laughs) i think that the bottom line there was that if a man did that to us we wouldn't have taken it as personally Mm -hmm. it it wouldn't have hurt as much or would it hurt differently it would have hurt differently but it you you probably instead of getting sad and defeated you probably eventually would have turned it to anger right i know that motivation or and then motivation exactly like really mad yeah it would have more been fuel than defeatism and i think that you know, we were talking about the iconic, to me, the iconic women-to-women um, relationship uh, um, is Hillary Clinton running for president. And just all of us in our conversations with smart, educated women who were bashing her. Now, you can like her or not like her. I, I don't care. But when you start calling her a bitch, that is when it really rubs me the wrong way. To have a strong, articulate highly intelligent woman i think those were the three qualities of her that classified her as a bitch right and (laughs) and and like the standards we have i'm far away the standards we have for her versus like if we use the the example of hillary clinton and donald trump regardless of your politics if you're using the barometer of like of likability um the idea that you that people tend to, those that have defended Donald Trump to me, which are fewer and fewer because yeah, he's right. crashing and burning, as we all hope. But the... the, the <laughs> and as we speak. As we speak. Let's, <laughs> please, please, please. But anyway, the point is, is that he, when I when this was going on, when that election was happening and people were saying like critiques of her being shrill or her being, she's not feminine enough or she's not warm enough or I don't like her haircut or whatever, mm-hmm. this sort of nonsense... Uh, parameters we give for women as we think about leadership or just anybody in the public eye the standards they gave donald trump was that oh yeah yeah, yeah. i know he's like super mean to women and like i get that he's a racist but you know what he's <laughs> he's a businessman and it was like the, like the standard was just was so, so skewed it was glaring it's and so, it was glaring yeah, yeah. because guess what they were mean 
about Hillary's hair, but they laughed, ha, 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 about Donald's hair. Yeah. I mean, I know that's a trivial piece no, of it. No, it's a great example. But it, it kind of symbolizes how women were looking at the two of them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's in my years... I have seen more destruction women to women than men to women. And um, because I think that there's there's a jealousy thing there. And that mm. goes back to an emotional quotient. It absolutely does. I think it reminds me of what you brought up initially, the the mom, what'd you say? The Oh, the super mom. The super called. mom. Yeah. I feel like we hold each other to a higher standard than we hold men to because we, we have something to compare. With men, it's not necessarily a comparison, but with each other, we're constantly comparing. And we talked about this in the last episode mm-hmm. where I say, I used to be super competitive with women, admittedly. I was not, I did not have a feminist mindset up until a decade ago, mm-hmm. quite frankly. So I've evolved a lot out of that, but I think looking back it's an inferiority complex where you're it's it's jealousy it's looking at the bottom line it really is i for me personally i again i'm not trying to generalize women's emotions and experiences for me personally anytime i'm in competition with a woman in my head i realized i'm jealous of her Mm -hmm. and i'm holding her to a higher standard Mm -hmm. so that i feel better about myself Mm -hmm. and in regards to hillary I had a, I have a woman in my life who's very close to me who voted for Trump. And when I asked, why wouldn't you vote for the woman? Which, full disclosure, I was a big Bernie supporter. Mm-hmm. That was my guy. Um, and obviously, I would have taken Hillary over Trump any day. Mm-hmm. Still would. But um, the woman said to me, she goes, you know, I just didn't want him in office. I mean, I just didn't want her as my president. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, but you'd rather him? You know, I mean, what does that say about our society as a whole that women, you know, Hillary, yeah, like, I I was coming from the mindset that I didn't like how she talked about some of the victims of Bill Clinton or alleged victims mm-hmm. of Bill Clinton. I wasn't a fan of her during the Obama administration. I think she made some really questionable moves. So I had a lot of reasons other than that, but um, ultimately... You mean your scale wasn't just like ability? <laughs> and not only that, Jackie. You know what? When you when you just talked, you never talked about gender. Mm. It was it, so. Isn't that where we're headed? Isn't right. that the utopia? Yeah. Right. Isn't when we can talk about what somebody brings to the table on paper without being male or female that's when we've evolved completely absolutely when we look at a person based on their skills yes and and on their you know their education whatever fits what we're trying to do because if you put on paper if you took trump and hillary and took the gender equation out of it and looked at what they brought to the table and you had a vote on that wouldn't that be a wonderful world? That would be right? amazing. Well, I think what it is, is we have to be hyper-vigilant. Like, I think about, like, my next question for you was, like, so how do we change this, right? Mm. And before I I ask that, I wanted to, I also think we need to think about being hyper-vigilant about not only gender as it relates to man versus woman, but how we gender qualifications. Like, we, or we gender uh, you know, skill sets or we gender personality types. And I think that that is because it, it goes back to me where 
women are taught to be self-deprecating. Like, I, a part of something Jackie and I talked about is, like, why did we hit it off? Um, you know, shortly after knowing each other, we were like, you need to be in my life forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was like, we sort of unpacked that, and we're like, what was it? And Jackie, I think in, like, one of our early episodes, you were saying, you know, it's that we both are, we sort of tend towards self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. And it's on the one hand, because probably we both know we're badasses, on the one hand, in the back of our minds, and then on the other, and, you know, insecurity can, you know, two things can be true. You can be insecure and no mm-hmm. other thing. But then on the, at the same time, we use self-deprecation as a way of being relatable, as a way of being approachable, as a way of being someone that people want to be friends with because she's not full of herself. She right. gets it. Like, she has lipstick on her teeth a lot. Like, she does her thing. <laughs> she's self-aware. Yeah, yeah, she's self-aware. And she can ju- <laughs> she can hang in a way that, like, isn't intimidating, yeah. but is, like, just confident enough but not too confident and overwhelming. And I know that about myself. And I know that that's a, a positive part of my personality. But why is it a positive part of my personality? Right. And, like, why are we... Why is it that we value, especially in women, I don't see men being like oh i just i don't know what i'm doing and if they do you're kind of like that guy's a little quirky because that's that's sort of an right that's not a masculine quality a little insecure yeah. also the same reasons it's hard for us to accept compliments yeah whenever someone compliments me i'm like oh no <laughs> so so i'm gonna bring up another topic i'm just Please. gonna throw a bomb in the middle of oh, this bomb, table bomb, with you girls bomb. right now yes and that's the topic of ageism. Oh yeah. We, all right. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. So yes. what I, I want to bring to the table for what you both just talked about, it's you will see yourself evolve. Mm. Women, you will see those things that you were just talking about at some point diminish you take a turn in life as you get older and you forgive yourself for anything any shortcomings that you thought you had but you also get a confidence with that is um comes with the wisdom Mm -hmm. i I come back to that word wisdom because when i hear the word ageism i right now now that i'm over 60 i and gorgeous i was gonna uh, say you you look amazing. Well, <laughs> it's, so it's good. A, we have it's a, a physical a, requirement for this podcast that so you have to be a bombshell. So, and luckily, every guest has a platform. There we go. <laughs> and uh, but I do have to tell you, it is. It was a big birthday. Turning sixty sure. is a big birthday. Absolutely. Out of all the birthdays I've had, all those 20, 30, 40, 50. and but on the other hand, you know, you get asked all the time, "Would you go back to your twenties?" never (laughs) would you go back to your 30s well I don't remember my 30s because my children were growing up and I pretty much spent my 30s in a car Mm. I mean driving going doing was all about my children in my 30s my 40s was all about working because I had to pay for college so it was very focused not so much and again that's where my entrepreneurism came into play because I ended up going into my own business to create my own destiny to because I knew how much I knew the bill was coming in or the bills in my case were coming in so it was very um, very focused on a dollar amount Um, and then for me my 50s my life took a major turn and but now i wake up i'm in my 60s and i value the person that i am i reflect on 
and of course, let, let's get into my life and mm-hmm. how God changed my life. And I thought I was going to the right. And then on March 13, 2012, my life took a big left-hand turn net, without warning. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's been a gift in so many ways, personally, because I've been able to take all my life experiences and value them. Not look at my age and say, oh, you're getting old. I look at my age and say, look how much I've lived through. I embrace my accomplishments. I kind of identify where my shortcomings might have been. But I've also got a realization that I can't be everything to everybody. Right, right. And, And having a confidence with that and a security with that is what comes with age. Right. So it sounds like peace, kind of. And it's also one of those things that I think, thank you for saying that too, because I think that as young women, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And you finally reach that point. I just, I turned 30 last year. And my, actually my birthday's coming up in September. So I'm turning 31. But I think that's something that I've been working on and that we all have to work on as women is, is standing in our own power and realizing that we are, are such powerful beings. And I'm actually, I feel like being a woman at this point in society, although there's still going back to the initial devil's advocate thought and, you know, age, um, we're working so hard on so many things, yet we're not giving ourselves a lot of credit. And then I think you finally reach your breaking point where you stop and you say, okay, wait a second. All of these people have been telling me all these things about myself my whole life. Let me just stop and reflect and decide if I agree with them or not. Mm -hmm. And recently I decided I don't agree with a lot of the things that people have taught me that I am. And I'm I'm reevaluating it all. And in doing so, I'm realizing how amazing I am, how amazing all the other people in my life are. Frankly, how impressed I am with myself and all the other people in my life who have already reached that that peace of mind. And um, I think it's about standing in your own power. We kind of have the upper hand in the fact that we, we can be nurturers, we can be compassionate, we can be emotional, but we can also be hard and we can be successful and, and intelligent and critical. We can be all of those things that men have told been told that they they shouldn't be. But now we're realizing that it doesn't matter what your gender is. We can be all the things, and it's up to us to decide how we want to be them. And right. I think that's really what it is. Yeah, I, I think, too, I think it's evolving. I really, I really see more men being more supportive of women sometimes than women being of other women. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's coming with a new generation coming coming into power. And look, do I think this is going to change overnight? No, but I do think we're on on the right path. And I it's funny, because when you were talking, Jackie, the word I was thinking of is an old term that men would say about women but you're blossoming in front of me oh. and it's funny <laughs> because you're blossoming in an intelligent right. intellectual level and um so it's a funny word to use because it, it was used in so many other different ways right. but but you are and again do not discount 
your 31st birthday coming, right? Mm. Now you're on, you've, you've gone around the sun one more time and your experiences and the people that you've met are all going to factor in. For me, I had a huge aha moment after Pete was diagnosed. Mm. It was, oh, now I get it all. Right. Now it all makes sense. It all made sense to me. I became so confident in my skin that I, you know, the the other piece, and and we haven't even brought this in, is relationships. Mm. Um, I, I met my husband when I was 16 years old. I've been with him. We went to the same college. We went, you know, we got married right out of school. There's a whole bunch of different reasons why this happened. And then we had, I had my first child at 20, 23, which was completely unheard of back then. But, um, but I, that was part of my aha moment that I had picked the right partner for the right reasons. So my support system also is part of who I am and recognizing that that was a a, a good move on my part. Right. If it wasn't, when I had that aha moment, it, it would have been over. It, it would have it, because I became so comfortable in my skin. Right. Mm. And um, I didn't beat myself up about, you know, thing could because when something happens like what happened to me, when you know, when a child gets sick, and he's a child, if he's still 27, he's still my child, right? Um, it just reflection became a huge piece of that. And I had to forgive myself, and I had to champion a lot of what I did. Mm-hmm. But it's bringing me here today with you guys. It's right. bringing me here of what has happened in my life. Uh, it, it, so I think we need to all... There's, there's a word I'm going to throw out, which I think is overused right now, but I think in its simplest form is becoming a, a keyword right now for everybody, and it's kindness. Mm. And I think if we all just go back to that basic, simple word of kindness, that gender divide yes. kind of gets blurry yeah. because you're just going to be kind. And the second piece of that is respect. If we all just respect what we, we, we're all not cookie cutter. There's no script, Molly. There's not going to be a script. And isn't that the most wonderful thing in the world? We're so lucky to be in the United States because, believe me, there are other parts of this country where women have a script. And God forbid they go outside the script. So that's one of our freedoms is that we can write our own script. And we need to empower each other male or female but how we empower first of all is by being kind Mm -hmm. a second life lesson that i talk about a lot when i'm out on the road is respect because everybody has a story Mm -hmm. and that's something you you were talking about molly you never know what someone is bringing to the table you never know and and because i know the women in this room, I know a lot of what you're all, you've all have to have dealt with or are dealing with in your personal lives. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we all come to this table and we have mutual respect for each other and don't think that that isn't part of it, that I know what people's life experience at this 
point. Right. But if we didn't know each other, if I didn't know your histories mm-hmm. or you didn't know my history. So I think the kindness and respect and identification that everybody has a story. Everybody is dealing with some shit. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the kindness piece, a lot of these things that we're talking about will will kind of become will dissipate secondary. it will be secondary and and we <clears throat> we do the right thing and i'm going to say something which i think <laughs> all I of us it. will laugh at but you gotta <laughs> you gotta think that and, and of course i don't want to bring spirituality into this but I, that's a huge piece of who i am Please do. but Thank i do you. believe that donald trump was was we needed him right now in a respect that he is bringing out the kindness in people right now Mm. because of the way he is people are being very clear about who they are yeah and people who are repelled by his rhetoric are becoming more kind and becoming more respectful of others Mm -hmm. and of course look at the world goes round because people are different do i have to like the people that support him or or his rhetoric no i don't like it as a matter of fact it motivates me Same. to be more open, more kind, more respectful. Right. Because that's how how we're going to get to where we want to go. Right, to lead by example. And one thing I want to add, that's a beautiful sentiment, and I totally agree with kindness being the key. I think even more so, I know when I'm not feeling good about myself, I'm not being kind to others. Mm -hmm. So I think before we can even be kind to others, we really have to be kind to ourselves. And I know that sounds really cliche and everyone's all about self-care, but it's true. You know, something, so going back to spirituality, I'm into like the new age, you know, metaphysical Mm kind of stuff. And um, a a lot of healers talk about the concept of shadow work. Are you familiar with that? No. So it's, but you it know, it sounds magical. And it, it's so magical. So, you know, it's your dark side. It's yeah. it's the side that we all hide from ourselves or don't really want to acknowledge. It's those bad memories. It's those bad feelings. It's bad experiences that have kind of molded us and given us a certain narrative that might not be accurate, but it's something that applies because mm. it was so real at the time. So the whole idea of shadow work is going back and really addressing each one of those incidences and looking at them her face value and said, how did it make me feel? What did I learn from it? And how did it make me better? And then learning to love that mm-hmm. part of you. So that's something that I think we all are working on, right? Mm-hmm. All the time, some be, more yeah. than others. And I think that that's key in moving forward. And going back to you know women coming up, I think, and my comments about Hillary not having anything to do with gender. For me personally, that's something I'm working on right now too, is like I'm not defined by being a woman. It's just a major perk that I'm a woman because I feel like I have this innate power in me and I have these options of who I want to be and I can be anyone I want it to be. And going back to the, there's less female CEOs than John CEOs Mm. I think a lot of that is we're giving ourselves permission to be exactly who we want to be now exactly you know so it's you don't you don't have to be the the perfect 80s mom boss or the perfect 2019 unless you want to be exactly exactly unless you make that decision that you want to be right so we're finding that empowerment in choice and it reminds me of um, our friend Miranda Eichling is she's 
brilliant and so gifted. And she, we were talking about feminism and I was like, yeah, like, oh, women were so strong and mm, capable. And she was just like, have you ever read I'm Not a Feminist, a feminist manifesto? Have you read that, Molly? Mm-hmm. I haven't. Have you read it, Nancy? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read it, but she basically summarized it for me. And she said the whole idea is that feminism is um, appreciating our feminine attributes and acknowledging that they are powerful. So creativity, compassion, all that stuff is so powerful and it's it's what moves mountains so yeah there's another great book called bad feminist by roxanne gay which sort of unpacks it has a racial um sort of uh overtone for the whole book but the the idea is that it you can be you can be a strong woman and celebrate your femininity just as much as your quote-unquote um, strength, which we've gendered male for some reason. Mm. Um, I would say I completely agree with the kindness run, and I wonder if that's why we're shifting from a you know industry standpoint to this gig economy where people are self-employed or people are you know using. I worked in the corporate world, and then I realized mm. this wasn't healthy. I was working ninety hours a week for me at what didn't work, you know, and then I sort of forged my own path because. I, mine was in retrospect, you know, it was really about survival, mental health wise, mm-hmm. um, as well as it was a professional decision um, and a good one in the end, but it could have gone either way. But that entrepreneurial spirit that you've referenced, um, you know, I think you've been able to make that happen, not only because you're a skilled businesswoman, but also because I think perhaps you've applied that level of kindness or open-mindedness to everything that you do, which is whether you've been dealt a blow of having your son be diagnosed with ALS or whether it was building multiple businesses or it was, you know, becoming an international speaker, which were all new things. They were all these new things that didn't have that script that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And what you did was you, you used your skills, your internal abilities, your tendencies, your lived experience and kept an open mind and said, I can make my own script. There yeah. was a there was a, a tipping point. There was a pinnacle moment in that journey and um if i can tell the story briefly of course but so the ice bucket challenge happens and of course we're thrown into this world of media that um just we were so mission oriented that we never became nervous or scared of a microphone or of a camera because it was all a vehicle for us to get to where we wanted to go. And I remember Pete's words were, this is it. Like this, he he had the vision and um, meaning that he wanted, his vision was to change the trajectory of the disease. And when this vehicle came along, he identified right away, this is it. So as far as being a media personality, it just, it was so caught up in the mission that I just did it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just all did it. My husband, my daughter, my daughter-in-law, we all we all just embraced it, right? So we get through August, and in the second week of September, there were two women having a, a glass of wine on a boat. And it turns out that one of them is the curator for TEDx in Boston, and the other one is a mother of a teammate of Pete's. Mm. And of course, Pete was always the captain of his team and I was always the captain's mom. So I was 
you know, organizing dinners and whatever, carpools, travel arrangements. So this woman knew me through those roles. And they're having, um, they're on a boat having wine. And uh, my friend Danielle, who is the, the curator for TEDx Boston, who wasn't my friend at the time, I didn't know her, um, she said she was looking for one more speaker. And uh, Donna turned to her and said, you got to call Nancy Frades. So out of the blue, I get a call and asked to do a TED Talk. And what's really funny is that it was in the sec- first week of September. The second week of September, I was going to LA to be on a social media panel and do a little traveling. So we were going to stay for 10 days. And um, the TED event was on October 2nd. So I said to her, I'm not coming back until like September 19th. And she said, oh, I think you can pull it off. And I'm like, everybody else has had six months. I'm going to have like six days. Right. So anyways, wrote it. She hated it. I loved that. That was one of my favorite point, point you know, when you, you're building these life experiences. I went in. They gave me, you know, you're coached in TED. You're coached. And... But I wasn't wasn't coached that much because there was no time. Right. So they they kind of gave me an outline and said, "Well, we see this is how your TED talk going. Can you go home and write it and come back tomorrow?" And I said, "Okay, I will." Came back the next day. They said, "Okay, do it." And I'll never forget it. Danielle looked right at me and she goes, "Nancy, can I see that?" And she took it <laughs> and she says, "We're just going to put that over here." <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I just blew that. That's for sure. And but that you know, was women supporting women. That yeah. was, And she was so she was kind. Like, I want you to nail this. But yeah, that's yeah. exactly. And she yeah. was kind in her delivery. She didn't yeah. look at me and say, well, that sucked. Right. But it was. Um, and then I looked at her and I said, Danielle, I see this going in a completely different direction. And again, empowering someone and 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 you know what the other thing we haven't talked about is your gut Mm. going with your gut i think Mm -hmm. women have that instinct i don't care what anybody says we have a gut she went with her gut and she goes go home and tell me how you want to do it and come back tomorrow came back the next day did it she said don't change a word of that said and not only that we're going to put you at the end of the day you're going to close the day out so now (laughs) i'm in faneuil hall doing watching all day long t- people and it then they didn't even tell me this but the day was for oh, so alums uh, of ted talks so that you're watching these like phenomenal speakers like right one like, after give another. Already done it before. who have already <laughs> done it before oh gifted rehearsed uh, everything. Had six months each <laughs> so the pinnacle moment came when i was sitting there and i had a full-fledged panic attack and said, I'm not going to do this. I, I can't do it. And I just said, I, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And this is, again, turning to that partner, having that right person in your life. And in my case, it happens to be my husband. And I turned to him and said, I don't think I can do this. And he looked right at me and he said, I've never heard you say those words before, and you're not going to start now. Oh. 
then you guys snuck into a closet somewhere because that's like the sexiest thing you've ever I heard. Think, I think we've been, like, we had been kidding. married about 32 years by then, so it really wasn't. It was much more about going to a bar, right, but we yeah. won't even talk about Still. it. And ladies and gentlemen, she has over a million views of her TED Talk, by the way. Yeah, and it, well, it ended up going to TED.com right away, which wow. in the world of TED right, TEDx is versus TEDx versus TED. So it, it ended up going... In, so anyways... That was such a defining moment for me in my journey. Because if I had turned around and said, I'm done, I'm not going to do this, I wouldn't be doing what I am now doing and what I truly feel in my heart I was born to do. Not only born to do, but given all my life experiences, every single thing that has happened to me in life, I bring on that stage with me. Right to make my presentation to help others to empower others to energize others to give others hope and to inspire them to be exactly what we're talking about today Mm. to be your best self and the only person you have to answer to for that is you i think the most beautiful part about your story is that you went in there you tried to produce what they wanted Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it didn't come out in the way that they wanted and I knew, it to. And I knew it. Right. That and then the you trusted your gut and you advocated for yourself, which is so intimidating. Mm-hmm. It's not just like you're going to speak at a local college. These, This is TED and you're telling them how it should be done when you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And they actually trusted you and then you came in and you executed it and look at where it's brought you. I think that's the most inspiring piece of it do, is you spoke up and I it do worked. have to give kudos to Danielle. Absolutely. Because she her talent and her encouraging and empowering me and saying whenever she said to me you're going to close out the day I mean I'm I'm smart enough to know that that's the pinnacle point here is you know that's the the one that's going to wrap up the day and and what ended up happening was um there were a number of ovations during my TED talk which actually took me off guard because during the day I hadn't seen that so it was really kind of funny when they started well there's a real again talk about pivotal moments there's a real pivotal moment in my TED talk that is um, very raw when I go back and watch it now it I, I was so raw when I said this and it just it was all so raw for yeah you. yeah and it was it was very raw I was coming off this experience of, of ice bucket that surreal totally surreal right. to, the, to the point where it's still surreal today people ask me all the time to reflect on it and what I say to them is I'm not done yet yeah <laughs> so I'm not going to stand back and sub- objectively look at it mm. because I'll freak out yeah, no, I think that that's actually a really wise choice because I, I can't imagine. I mean, even knowing you as as a, mm-hmm. a, a bef- pre Ice Bucket Challenge Nancy to post yeah. Ice Bucket Challenge Nancy, you've been the same throughout, but you've been transformed from this sort of just in terms of your exposure, mm-hmm. right? I also I think the magnitude of what you said around kindness is what. And because people ask her a lot, I remember you sharing this with me, like there's this thing in marketing where, you know, people are always like, how do I get to go viral? (laughs) And, you know, it's, there's just like no, I mean, there's just no formula to that. And you acknowledge in sort of 
one, in one fell swoop, you acknowledge both that it wasn't, there was an opportunity and there was a left part of virality and how you can't control. But what you did say is that at the same time, you were given this moment. And instead of sort of letting the moment happen to you, you then sort of took the reins and then built, I mean, you've raised over $160 million for ALS uh, globally. And and not just the money, because the money is very crucial, because it is a very expensive treatment process. It's incredibly um, dire research requirements that sort of come along with it. But it's also, you've elevated ALS into a into the conversation people know what it is and they talk about it in a way and that was all built by kindness it was someone saying sure i'll dump a nice bucket on my head in the summer in august why not it sounds great but in doing so people took a moment to then you know incrementally build this momentum of kindness that then built a, a movement and it even goes further back than that it, it so pete was just to give a little insight into my son but yes. pete was always a leader he just was even when he was a little kid molly will remember him on the playground uh, and he was my paper boy and he was very cute yes, still is was. very cute and he, and he was always but he what the teachers would say was that he's a leader in the class, but then they would say to me, but he does it with kindness. Mm. Like everybody's included and mm. nobody is left that's out. That's what a real he, leader does. That's yeah. what a real leader does. And I say, this does, this just doesn't happen. This happened because of a life well led, mm. a short life, be it all. But in his 27 years, if you met Pete, you met Pete. He was someone, like if you had bumped into Pete in a bar in New York, he would come right up to you and yeah. say, hi, Molly. I mean, you, he, he put you in his data bank, in his head, that you were a friend for life. So all, the, the, the adage about kindness is that all the kindness you throw out will all come back to you. And it did on August 1st, 2014. Pete just went to all those friends, all those teammates, all those classmates. And again, he lived a large 27 years. He lived in Hawaii to play baseball. He lived in Germany to play baseball. He traveled all over Europe. And he kept in contact with all these people. And when he decided, when... when when the spirits above or the universe, however you want to look at it, decided to give him ALS, he recognized that his life set him up for this. Right. That, that his life had given him gifts and relationships. He, there is a video out there that he says, it's funny because I'll go back and I'll look at some of the videos from when he was first diagnosed when he spoke. And Pete hasn't spoken for six years now. Um, but he said, he goes, I kind of know a lot of people, which we thought was hysterical growing up because he would always say, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. And Jen, my daughter, like wanted to throttle him. Like, <laughs> can he stop name dropping? And then he gets diagnosed and we realize, oh, my God, he really does know these people. Right. And he he says that. He goes, I'm hoping my network's I can utilize mm. those networks that I built to make a difference in this world that needs it so badly. Mm. Um, again, a gift was seeing him, and this is what has led me here, is seeing him identify 
that he was chosen for this, mm. that, ah, now it all makes sense. It took me until I was 54 to realize that. He realized it that night. Right. And, and the root of it was kindness. So virality, it went viral because he went to all the people that he knew and said, can you join me and can you help me? Mm. And they did and so you got the bc community that it exploded on my travels i have met so many people who said oh my spouse is a bc grad we did the ice bucket challenge like right away i didn't know what he was doing because it was part of one of pete's networks right and it got to them very quickly so Look, a lot of luck went into it. A lot of things. I get I for the past five years I've answered that question more right. than there's you no can, secret you, sauce. There's no secret sauce and there's no lightning in a bottle a second time. Right. Are we ever thinking that we're ever gonna recreate it? No. But the disruption that it caused in not only the world of ALS, but man, it blew up the world of mm-hmm. philanthropy yes. as a whole. Mm-hmm. And um as a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of conversations with a certain large social media network right now that within the next couple of months, um, I'm going to be teaming with to talk about that in the last five years, how the whole world of philanthropy literally has been turned upside down, that you can raise money with one dollar donations that you don't have to always go after the big fish. And that's through a high level use of of social media. And but I I, I can't end this conversation without I think social media is a vehicle. It is not the be all end all. Mm -hmm. And I think your generation needs to understand Mm -hmm. that there's nothing that can replace personal connections face to face. Or I can't tell you when I was working prior to Pete being diagnosed, how many young people would come in to me and say, well, I'm trying to get this done. I'm trying to get that done. And I would say, well, tell me, how are you doing this? And they would tell me. And finally, I'd look at them and I'd say, pick up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> pick up the phone. Talk to the person. Because that no matter what, no matter how much technology enters our lives, We'll never lose that need for personal connections face-to-face. And I think that right now your generation is grappling with that. I think that the generation behind you is even grappling with it even more. Oh, yeah. And um, I love, I have to tell you, one of my favorite things that I have seen is now these WeWork environments. Mm -hmm. Because I was concerned about all these people working remotely in their houses you know you sit in your house with your computer you never look at my when I was in the corporate world one of the best times was my coffee break right right when I could go or we'd go talk around the water cooler yeah I'm bringing back my <laughs> Mad Men days but um you know the personal relationships that I would make in my work environment was what sustained me really the work was 
mundane. It was boring, whatever. I mean, I was in the wrong field when I was in the corporate world. I know there's a lot of fulfillment people get if they're in the right environment. But in my experience, it was much more the people that I worked with and the the connections with the people that drove me to go to work every day. And then when I saw people working remotely, I was like, man, that's so secluded and putting people in these pods and not having that interconnection with people. Mm -hmm. And then my first time that I visited someone in a WeWork environment, I was like fascinated. Mm -hmm. I was like, I love this. Then I ended up being invited over to the Harvard Innovation Lab, which if you've ever been there, it's one of the most exciting places to be and it is a direct result of mark zuckerberg creating facebook in his dorm room Hmm. harvard identified that there are so many innovators at at harvard let's put them all in the same let's give them a physical plant building and they can all work off each other and share shared energy so I really think that it's the pendulum's going a little bit the other way now. And um, think tanks, um, I have a startup that I'm working with um, that has an assistive device for paralyzed people. And I, you know, is it I, public? Can you do you want to plug it or? Yeah, can... it's it's called Loro. L O R O is the name of the product, and they these are the people that I'm working with over at Harvard Innovation Labs. Um, and not only are they Harvard students now, but they have fostered a group from different um, communities, and they literally were just in Washington D.C. for the last eight months, living in a think think tank house which was so when I was in DC I went and visited them there it was an estate of a very successful woman who gave a house in the middle of Georgetown this beautiful old historic house and every year they give grants to I think 12 different Um, groups of innovators and they all live together for free Mm -hmm. and they all have their own workspace so my friends at Laurel are just leaving there now they're just coming back to Boston and of course they're out looking for venture capital money and investors to to bring this to market and I've been kind of an advisor on the actual attributes of the product and Mm. just quickly it's a product that um attaches to a wheelchair and it has um, a 360 ball on the top of it so people who are paralyzed can't turn their heads and they they tend not to have periphery vision and it talks to their computer so if my son pete was sitting in a chair facing you jackie if someone came in the door here can you imagine how frightening it would be not to be able to turn your head. Right, right. And, and frustrating. Frustrating. Yeah. Isolating. Well, as soon as I saw it, the first thing I thought of is when someone comes to meet Pete, they talk to him over here on like his right or his left, mm. and oh. he can't see him. And I'm constantly like physically shifting. moving people in front of him right. so that he can see them. Mm. And as soon as I saw this device, I was like, this is un believable that you can rotate and it does many we've added more functions to it but i it's it's these think tank environments that these kids have been in and they 
look at the personal connections, even though they're very highly technically skilled and everything mm. is being done through technology, they're growing this through personal relationships. Right. And a community of like minds, which I think is really what moves things yeah. forward. Oh, absolutely. Now, so they'll probably a respectful, built. kind community. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I just want to say thank you so much for being as as open and vulnerable as as you were today because I learned a lot and I feel like they're you know the lessons around kindness and respect uh, in the age of of folks either in our generation or folks coming up after us I do think that sort of digital forum where we all are sort of operating in our own um, you know alternate universe on our phones and computers accountability is Mm. is is shifting right and so in order to be accountable not only to society but to one's own you know uh standards i think is really important and that's going to help women support women it's going to help women support men men support women and or just us as a as a community to support each other um did you want i would love to um to give a shout out to any projects that you're working on that you want folks to check out we'll include the details on those on the episode description um, as well as our website so sure so um, I'd love just to say that um, again in the context of ice bucket is that um, for all those naysayers look a movement it can be a movement but unless there are results mm-hmm. all it was was people pouring ice water over their heads mm-hmm. and what I'm here to say is the momentum the hope, the absolute incredible discoveries um, that we now have in uh, the ALS world are monumental. Mm. Um, We had one, to to give a couple of throw around my facts here, um, we had one gene associated with ALS prior to 2014. But thanks to you, Molly, thanks to you, Jackie, thanks to everybody who did the Ice Bucket Challenge and donated, we have had five more genes discovered in the last five years. So you have one gene in 150 years, and then you have five genes in five years. If that doesn't speak volumes, the day Pete was diagnosed in 2012, there were maybe four drugs in the pipeline for either symptomatic or stopping the progression of ALS. Today, we have 86 drugs in the pipeline that are ready to go to clinical trials and eventually swiftly get to patients. So it's been the results that we're focusing on right now. So if you want to learn more about what is happening in the world of ALS, you can go to alsa.org. Uh, org, which is the ALS Association's website. They just posted um, what's happened since the Ice Bucket Challenge, and they have a lot of those facts and figures on there. This year, the five-year anniversary? This is We're right in the middle of it yeah. right now, the five-year oh. anniversary. Um, we, we have a drug. We actually have a drug now. Um, it's called Radicava. Does it work? Does it not work? Well, we're still trying to figure that out, but the FDA fast-tracked it and got it right. So where we were given no hope when Pete was diagnosed, there is nothing. Today, if you're diagnosed with ALS, you have an option. They give you an option. Now, I'm here not to judge the effectiveness on an individual patient, but in my world, if, if that was said to me that day, 
it would have I would have left that office instead of in a world of darkness and hopelessness I would have thought wow maybe maybe it will work mm-hmm. we're coming back tomorrow so stay with us um, the best place to we have been chronicling our journey on our team face uh, team freight train Facebook page. Um, we made a decision um, back in 2012. Um, a very astute young man who's 27 identified that this disease is a very visible disease. And even though Lou Gehrig was the iconic uh, person in, in the progress of this disease, um, everybody remembers Lou talking, standing in a baseball uniform, walking, holding up a plaque. And that's not the reality of this disease. Mm-hmm. So his uh, combined courage, knowledge of social media, and vulnerability to say, I'm going to show what's going to happen to me. Uh, we made a decision to chronicle our journey on Facebook. And um, and then Facebook in turn returned, returned the favor during August of 2014. So follow us um, on Team Freight Train. We still do our signature events. If you want to jump in the Atlantic Ocean in December, we'll be doing that again um, on Pete's birthday because in the world of ALS, birthdays are a really big deal. Mm. And... Um, and just follow us and stay with us. And most importantly, if you have an ALS patient in your world, in your sphere, in your village, um, just just go say hi. If there's something that I, I yearn for, it's to see people come in and, and, and go in and see Pete and just say hi. Mm. You don't have to stay for an hour. You don't even have to stay for 10 minutes. But for them to see the mercy that you will show them when you come in and and you give them a smile and a kiss um just it's a very isolating disease so make sure you 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 go over and just tell them how much you love them and and uh, remind them how much they mean to you so thank you girls if you're listening pete we're going to be stopping by but also we love you so thank you for doing what you continue to do for als and for uh, philanthropy everywhere. And how, if our listeners would like to Don't, s- yeah, yeah. specifically support your family and Pete, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so um, we have partnered, so speaking of the digital age, <laughs> we were approached by a couple of entrepreneurs out of New York City who watched the Ice Bucket Challenge and created a platform called Spot Fund, S-P-O-T-F-U-N-D. And what it is, it's a storytelling-based philanthropy. You can follow their website, and what they do is they highlight different people doing incredible good work. So you go to spotfund.com, and you can search for Frady's, and it tells the st- there's a beautiful um, produced video about our our journey and about Pete specifically, and it's also a donation platform. So what's really interesting about it is when you follow Spot Fund, you'll get notified when they post a new um, story. So it's not just disease based, it's all different type of social causes. And it's really, really phenomenal. So, um, so it's spotfund.com and go search Pete Frady's. 
That's so great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And guys, don't forget to like and subscribe to Riveting Broads. Uh, follow us on all of the uh, the interwebs, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, and let us know if you have any questions for Nancy or about um, the organization she mentioned or about sort of our beginning conversations around her experience as an entrepreneur. Um, please feel free to reach out. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon.